All right, all right, all right. Welcome back, my friends, for another episode of The Podcast. The cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. As always, you're joined by your boy, Heavy Days, here from the Upside Down Library. And we are hugely appreciative of our fantastic sponsors. You know them and love them. Seeds here now. Number one seed bank in America. Not just a guarantee on germination. Guarantee on satisfaction. If you don't like it at the end of the grow, hit them up. They will make it right. They will sort you out. Why would you go with someone who doesn't have such a guarantee? If you're in the UK, though, hit up our buddies at Simply Souvenirs. With a hand-selected range of boutique breeders and smoking apparatuses and apparel, Simply Souvenirs offers some of the best customer service in the game. You will absolutely be looked after well by our friends there. Please check them out in the UK. International and local UK breeders, huge thank you to Simply Souvenirs. Likewise, huge shout out to our friends at Copet Biological Systems. For all the best predators and predation technology in the game, you have to check out Copet and their products. If you've got aphids, get the Afiparm. If you've got spider mites, get the Spidex Vital. How many times we got to say it, guys? A clean garden is next to godliness. What more could you want than peace of mind knowing that your plants are pest and pathogen free? Check them out, Copet Biological. Thank you so much, guys. Huge shout out to our friends at Pulse Sensors. If you've got one room, three rooms, multi-state facilities, you need pulse sensors. The reality is there's many variables that can hold your crop back and you may not even be aware they're not optimized. Get yourself a pulse sensor, dial in your parameters. Increase yield, resin, flavor, all the information at your fingertips. Check it out guys, pulse sensors. Get serious, get a pulse. Shout out to the crew at Purple, who create the Purple Pro, a modular handheld unit capable of giving you accurate flower and concentrate cannabinoid tests from THC to CBD, water content, water activity and more. Grab yourself a Purple Pro, guys. They were kind enough to send me one. I've been playing with it. It's fun. I think you guys will like it. And last but not least, the Patreon gang. Thank you so much for your support. You are the lifeblood of the show. We could not make episodes without the support of the Patreon gang. We are hugely grateful. If you want to help support the show, get access to early content, unheard interviews, exclusive Patreon-only episodes, as well as monthly genetic giveaways, check out the Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast. Alrighty, gang. Welcome on back, guys. Today's a big one. You know it. You saw it in the title. The man himself, Tom Hill, here to talk all things haze, deep chunk, X18, pine tar kush, so much more. A real breeder's breeder. Let's get into it. Alrighty, gang, we're back for another one. Thank you so much for joining us. And on this episode, we have a much-anticipated guest, possibly one of the most requested. A huge thank you to the land race legend, master of both the hash plants and the hazes, Tom Hill. Thank you for joining us. Uh, happy days. How are you, sir? I am very good, my friend. Very grateful to be chatting to you. Tell me, what are you smoking on today? Ooh, some, something a neighbor brought by. Um... I don't even know what the hell it is, but it's really, really good. And I'm going to have to ask him, you know, he's uh, one of these guys that knows what he's doing. 
And when, when we, when, you know, neighbors are always bringing over their best buds to show off around here. And when this guy comes over, you, you know, it's going to be really good. And, and it is. <laughs> that sounds incredible. I know that you live in like NorCal where, you know, there's a lot of serious growers. Do uh, the growers out there grow a variety of different strains or do they tend to stick to like the tried and tested things? Well, you know, I think, uh, the majority of anybody that's doing any growing these days is uh, is unfortunately, you know, trying to trying to grow for for the market, you know, the buyers and such, and uh, and that that's getting a bit old. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, especially given you know your history of lines. So, is it sativa dominant? Is it indica dominant? Give me an idea about it. Oh, it's probably some hybrid of unknown. You know, it's un, it's probably unknown. Uh, uh, but it's certainly sativa leaning in in its head. Ah, you know, narrow, a very very heady uh, cerebral high. That's interesting. I like that. And I mean, out of curiosity, have you tried any varieties in the recent past that are like newer creations that have impressed you? I'm sure. You know, shit. I I don't. Uh, yeah, some of this gelato 33 that I just smoked it doesn't taste very good um, you know or not it's not super loud or anything i mean you know it doesn't taste bad it's just you know it's not it's not super uh flavorful but it it has a really has a really good heady you know cerebral high that i liked a lot um the ogs you know i love the triangle kush and and uh you know that, that can be some pretty impressive herb as well beautiful i'm so glad to hear you mention the tk because that is also definitely one of my favorites. Have you ever wanted to work with some of those more modern lines, not just to grow them, but maybe toy around making some seeds with them? Oh yeah, I grew out the TK. Um, you know, I know those guys, some of them personally, it, that kind of circle that's been holding it up there in NorCal for a long time. And um, I grew it out, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or something. And I tried to flip it and failed. <laughs> <laughs> I had them in a uh, greenhouse and it was just too humid. And I was busy with other stuff and I didn't, I didn't really, you know, probably try as hard as I, as I should have. But yeah, I couldn't get any pollen off of them. Ah, okay. Yeah, cool. So you wanted to reverse it onto some other stuff. What, what do you think it might pair well with? Oh, damn near anything. <laughs> I think I think my friend up there at CSI has it right. You know, it it it's it seems to be an excellent parent, uh, have excellent general combining ability across a, a broad range of, of of other plants. Yeah, hugely. I uh, I think TK is definitely up there with some of the best breeding plants I've ever heard of or come across. What do you think a hybrid with haze would look like with the TK? I'm not sure if it's been done, but it would be cool in my opinion. Yeah, that would be worth a look for sure. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd cross haze with anything now. <laughs> and nothing at the same time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a great answer there. So let, let's go down that rabbit hole a bit. A lot of people are very keen on your haze and your haze experiences. Can you just to start off, we've, we've had a number of guests over the past few episodes talk about haze. And one of the common things they talk about is that there's so many different hazes out there. So what to you is haze? For, well, for, well, you know, I mean, I, I know, I know a lot of them, uh, 
there's one the old one that I grow from Positronics. Uh, you know, that's haze to me for sure, but it's very different um, from like the Northern Lights haze and stuff. That's you know, and and that stuff can be can be just killer and rip your head off too. You know, some of Neville's work, um, but uh, they're both haze to me. And and I like them both, and you know I just I work with the one that 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 I prefer the most. Yeah, sure. And and in terms of like the effect, is it like that really stimulating cerebral? Is it like paranoia? Like what sort of effect do you like the most out of haze? Um, it it's very very potent, and um and. And to where you have to laugh at yourself, you know, because you're tripping, you know, peeking out the window and stuff and hearing shit. And um, uh, it, it's kind of, it's a shockingly, incredibly potent and cerebral high. And I, and I enjoy that, you know, I mean, that, that, that stuff's going to disappear before I even touch anything else when I come across a good one. I love that, right? Like the first jar to go empty, that's a, that's a sign of true quality. Oh, yeah, I'll take that over a lab any day. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. So, I mean, it's probably a hard question to ask, but what what is your favorite haze hybrid you've done thus far? Um, I've seen some really good... It, it, the, when paired with the deep chunk, the F2s are worth looking through. Um, my neighbor gave me... Another guy gave me uh, some of that a couple of weeks back that was incredibly good. Beautiful. That's the the monkey haze. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. The DC haze uh, crosses that. I think we did him in, in, or we started anyway in Spain back in '09. I think it was. Ah, that infamous Spain run. Can you tell us about that? Because I think a lot of people, including myself, saw the forum post and really captivated by the documentation you did. How did that all go down? Oh, um, let's see. You know, Rocco, my friend Rocco there in Spain has always been a good friend and Charlie and Doobie and all those guys, you know, on, on the, on the, uh, in Spain. And at the time, uh, I had passed out a bunch of seeds and, you know, I've been, I was just giving away seeds and such. And, uh, and I got tired of that and it was just kind of a way to, uh, you know, to not have to go to the post office anymore. <laughs> 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 so we made a bunch of seeds and had Gypsy and others distribute them. And, uh, and it allowed me, you know, to not have to worry about that. Ah, okay. So, so let's go, let's rewind a little bit then. So what was your introduction to the online community? Cause as you just mentioned, you know, you were giving out seeds to people. How did you discover the forums and, and, uh, come to be a part of the online community oh gosh i don't know but it was you know cannabis world and overgrow i guess maybe a friend showed it to me or something back i don't know 99 or whenever it was you know 2000 whenever those those things were yeah sure okay and prior to that were you mostly just you know mingling with the locals and sort of just doing your own thing I don't think I had a computer or something prior to that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Truly a mountain man. I love that. I love that. So um, let's go Let's go back a little bit before that then. What was it like living in the area you were before the online communities? You know, because this is largely regarded by a lot of people as like probably the golden era of NorCal cannabis production. Is that how you would describe it? 
Oh yeah, I would for sure. Um, it was such a, a a really great and different group of people that settled this area, you know, back in that original rush, you know, late seventies or something started probably, you know, early eighties. Uh, you know, there was every hash smuggler and, you know, hippie and, and weed dealer from down in the city started buying property up here and, and came up and, and, uh, there's people up here from, you know, all over the United States. And it was a really interesting community. Um, you know, a lot's changed from since back then, for sure. There's a lot of newer people up here, the new guard, we call them, uh, and uh, the vibe's probably not what it used to be, but I still love it up here. Um, I've been here for 37 years, I think. This is my 37th year, and I'm not going any- anywhere. Ah, incredible, incredible. And I guess a lot of people currently are discussing the way farmers are being pushed out of the industry with the ever-increasing uh, legalization and the, like, you know, the more corporate farms coming into the space. Is this something you're concerned about, or do you think like it sort of doesn't affect you? Well, it doesn't doesn't concern me too much, and and yeah, it doesn't doesn't affect me really. You know, I'm going to do what I've always done, and hey, you know, we are, you know, are there's there's not really good folk going to jail for a long time like they, like it was back in the old days. And, uh, and that's a win and, uh, nothing else, you know, this other stuff, there was no money in it back in the beginning, you know, uh, and you know, there's not much money in it now. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like we've come full circle. Yeah. There you go. That, that's a, that's a good analogy. I like that. But you know, there's lots of people who, who, who kind of rode this gold rush in. And um, and there was a lot of undesirable, you know, entities out there uh, that came with that. And I'm I'm kind of glad to see them go. To be gone, to be honest, you know, a lot of these big farms are closing up shops. You know, they can't even make it work. Yeah, true, true. I've heard a lot of them. Yeah, just putting out a lot of volume, but not a lot of quality. Yeah, and they just, you know, they can't they can't deliver to their to their lenders you know what what they promised back when you know back when it was worth more a couple years ago (laughs) yeah certainly i mean i guess i guess an interesting sort of direction to take this in is that a lot of people would look at many of your offerings over the years and sort of think to himself these aren't necessarily the most commercially orientated plants have you found that you are able to grow your strains and offerings in a way that they are viable or are they more of like a, a unique tool that's not necessarily for production in your mind? Sure. You know, you could, uh, you could probably grow deep chunk in a, in a, you know, light a single 1000 watt light over an area, over an area uh, like 12 feet by 12 feet or something. And you probably get a couple of pounds out of, out of that light with, with that setup. And it'll produce out on the edges because it's a low light plant. You know, we used to grow it under the trees. Um, let's see, with haze, you could find a killer clone and, and, you know, sell ounces for $400 or something. Both of those can be commercially viable. Yeah, wow, that's two sort of totally different ends of the spectrum, but you're making it work. I really like that. And I'd love to hear a bit more about 
the deep chunk because I think I read a post where you you said a, a similar sentiment about you know lower light levels. I guess sort of the implication is that you could maybe run like you know twice as big of a space with half the lighting so you know the same sort of power bill but get twice as much yield sort of thing is that sort of what you're getting at yes exactly you know if you can if you can fudge with the inputs then then you can definitely make it work remember this is an old plant and uh up here in the old days we were growing under the trees you know we had helicopters all up on us and uh so for a plant to do well underneath a manzanita or, or a drone or, you know, under a fucking tree, uh, it has to be able to boogie down in some lower light levels. Yeah, of course. And look, I uh, in the past, I, I've grown deep chunk inside a tent and I actually found it quite challenging. And I think this may well be the reason I was probably suffocating it with light. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a low light plant for sure. Like, you know, and it works really well. Like we we try to grow all that Dutch stuff under the trees up here, and and that shit comes out so wispy that you're just not even going to sell it, you know. You're going to be working at Seven Eleven or something, <laughs> but uh, that deep chunk is going to throw them monkey balls in, in the shade no matter what. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. That's interesting. And when you just referenced haze and you said you know you could find a really nice pheno, you could do really well with that. I was interested to ask you, do you find that you're able to get enough yield off the haze that it like it makes up for the, the spindly sort of structure or the quality is enough that it, it equals out that way? Oh, I've, I've, I mean, I've never, I've never grown them commercially by clone. You know, I was grow from seed and, um, you know, the uh, seed plant in a greenhouse or something, it'll do a couple of pounds, you know, it'll give you a kilo or something. Um, if the smoke is right, then, you know, a kilo of haze is extremely precious. So, yeah, it yields enough um, because it's just it's so much better than everything else. It's, it's really it's priceless, you know. Yeah, sure. Okay. And out of curiosity, have you ever been tempted to uh, pass out a, a clone or a seedling or you just you don't really take cuttings at all of it? I'm probably going to run a haze run pretty soon. You got me thinking about it. <laughs> it's funny, funny. But, um, yeah, I would love to have a haze clone. You know, fucking, you, you find a good haze clone, buddy, you can change the world. Yeah, I think that would be a really, really unique sort of offering to bring to the table because although there's like a lot of focal discussion around haze, I don't think I've heard anyone sort of float the idea of doing that in the sense that you might. Yeah, that's, that's like it's... So real, real high up on my project list. I can't wait. You know, I've been growing all this stuff for the market for for so many years, and and uh, now's the perfect time. You know, because the, the the prices are down and everything else. It's you can take a vacation from what you're doing. You're not getting paid anyway, right? So <laughs> now it's like the perfect now it's like the perfect time to do something exactly like that. There you go. That would be interesting. And and out of curiosity, you know, a minute or two ago, you mentioned Gelato Thirty Three. Do you think a Gelato Thirty Three Hayes hybrid would be interesting, or it's it's a bit too muddled? Yeah, no. Every time I find a cerebral, uh, uh, you know, fast flowering hybrid, I I think about Hayes. You know, yeah, oh, this one might squash the high. It might not squash the high. You know. <laughs> uh, okay, I get you. I get you. I'm always I'm always on the hunt for that. And, and I do think that the uh, OG would probably be an interesting one because OG is is a plant that uh, 
it's proven itself to breed true for for this high resin content and quality resin and uh that's that's a pretty rare thing those are those are some pretty important boxes to be checking off uh, and it certainly does that as a parent sure and i think with haze you have this like sort of uh, notable five percent rule would you be able to run over that one for the listeners who aren't familiar yeah i mean about one in 20 is is, is going to be really exceptional um you know you'll get it you'll get a few that are okay but you'll get this giant percentage of them uh more than 50 then you'll be that you'll you know at least i will would say oh man this is hay this is horrible you know so it's a real pain in the ass to grow you have to rifle through all these undesirable plants and uh but you know if you find a good one it it's it makes it all worth it that's for sure yeah okay beautiful and to you the ones that are truly the keeper ones what sort of traits do they embody in terms of a lot of people talk about hazes as like this pheno is maybe Colombian leaning, this one's more Thai leaning. How would you describe the ones that you feel are the ultimate keepers? I, I like the Thai side of the family. Um, it's kind of a citrusy, probably lemonine or something uh, thing going on, kind of a sour apple. It reminds me of like... Back in the early '80s, the like the some of the last Thai shipments that were coming in, we called it chocolate Thai here in California. Um, it was really, really good stuff. But if you grew that stuff out, you would get this this very similar thing to the haze that I grow, and, and it's and it's and it's kind of makeup. Yeah, nice. And I, I mean, as someone who unfortunately has never been able to try any like Thai stick or anything like that. Were there any other Thai varieties that left like a lasting impression on you? Oh yeah, the the early the earlier Thai stick that probably was the foundation of Hawaiian weed back then. Um, it was a real spicy thing, and, and you know, and it would blow up in your lungs. You couldn't hold that stuff in. They called it expando bud. Right. This is most certainly uh, Thai hybrids that were grown in, in Hawaii. Some of that stuff in the early 80s was was just insanely uh, potent and, and uh, just rip your head clean off. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. That's that's really interesting. I think I'd only ever tried like a, a Hawaiian lime once and it kind of weirdly reminded me of sour diesel. Have you ever had that sort of experience? Um. No, <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't imagine. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was sour diesel these days. Uh, but Hawaii got hit hard. Uh, you know, I'm I'm sitting here whining about camp and all that in NorCal. Uh, Hawaii got it much much worse. You know, with this Operation Green Sweep, whatever they whatever they called it, they they have guys hanging from helicopters off of ropes and like, you know, combing the combing the the forests like you know just a few feet from the ground. It was really hard to grow for a long time in Hawaii uh, from, you know, Reagan, from Reagan on uh, for, for a long time. And, um, and a lot of the old stuff just got wiped out. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Have you ever tried to grow any Hawaiian or it was always sort of like just adjacent to what you're interested in? No, there's a neighbor here that, um, that used to grow some Hawaiian. He, he he might even still, but it just it wasn't very good. You know, it wasn't like the stuff I remember. 
Yeah, sure. I don't suppose you ever had the mythical Maui Waui or... No, none of the stuff that we got from Hawaii had names. Uh, um, it was, you know, brown or green, baby. Those Take your pick. <laughs> that, that's what it was. And, and, you know, and we knew back then the brown was fucking good, you know, uh, and it, it was, and, and there was another tie trait, I reckon. Yeah, that does sound very Thai-esque, doesn't it? Like the the more brown quote it goes, like the better it gets. You don't hear people saying that about many varieties except for Thai. Right. Uh, there's, you know, I mean, there's some of my favorite modern varieties will go brown too. Uh, you know, Chem 4 doesn't hold on to its color for very long. You got to move that shit quick. You know, four, four months after you take that stuff down, it's going brown no matter what you do. Ah, look! You just said one of the the favorite varieties of the show, the chem dog. What What's your experience with the chem dog? Have you grown many of the different cuts, or just the four? I've grown the ninety one, the D, and the four. Yeah, and any one of them sort of more of a favorite than the others, or they're all just sort of good in their own way. Yeah, I like that chem four the best. Um, uh, I wasn't a very big fan of the ninety one and the way that it grew. You know, uh, it just doesn't do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, the D is pretty good. It, it, it's a little earlier outdoors, and it makes a nice bud and, and does all that stuff. Um, but I think the four, all things considered, how it grows and, and, and how it hits your head, I think the four was probably the best, my favorite anyway. And that's all I care about. Yeah. Look, I can understand where you're coming from, especially being outdoors. You know, I think the 91 does need a lot of, uh, you know, babying, a lot of coddling, as we might say. So that sort of all checks out. One of the focal discussion points on the show we talk about with guests is, what do we think the lineage is? Because we still don't really know what chem is. A lot of people say, you know, Northern Lights, something like that. Do you have any sort of guesses? No way. (laughs) No way, no way. (laughs) I don't know either it's 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 you know uh it's really good though it's you know a combination of what came before it is what it is it's probably some you know awesome transgressive segregation f2 a bag seed from some dude's closet back in 82 or whatever yeah yeah it could be and look i love that term transgressive segregation me and you have spoken about it a bit in our personal chats, but I have a feeling some of the listeners may not be familiar. Can you give your sort of basic um, you know, description of what transgressive segregation is for the viewers? Well, um, there's, you know, there's hybrid vigor or you know, heterosis in the F1 where you kind of have weaker traits of one parent being masked by the input of another. Um, and, and so, you know, everybody... Uh, likes F1s because they kind of, you know, they're they're not weak plants. They're nice and uniform. It's good, but it's kind of mid-parent values mostly. It's predictable. You know, that's why seed companies used to do it and such. But uh, it doesn't really fly off the charts in any in any in any category. Uh, that doesn't happen until you get into the F2, um, and um, that's when you get very extreme. Uh, phenotypes uh, that, that you haven't seen before in either parental line. 
And boy, that's where the fun begins too. Whether you're just, you know, selecting clones or, or selecting breeding prospects. Yeah. Brilliant stuff there. Okay. Because this is sort of a topic we talk about on the show, but have maybe never actually correctly labeled it as transgressive segregation. But just so I'm trying to get in the mindset of the listener, you're sort of saying like, it's when you get a result that you wouldn't be able to predict from either parents. It's like something totally left of field, so to speak. Correct. It's a it's a it's a it's a measurement that this this thing is doing in one, in some category um, where its its measurements lie outside the the range of either parent. So 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 you know so we're we, we're talking about uh, you know faster than a speeding bullet, right? You know, frost, frostier than the DC and, and more cerebral than haze. Okay, that, that that's that's a possibility. And that would be an example of transgressive segregation, and and um, and it's not it's not something that doesn't happen often. You know, it's actually it's it's more the rule than the exception. Yeah. Okay. That's that's a great answer there because I was going to ask some of the most exciting results of a cross, in my opinion, are exactly that. You know, when you get something very sort of unexpected, and so when you use more land race or pure breeding strains. I think you tend to see this occur more. But my question is, do you feel that transgressive segregation can still occur with two polyhybrids? Like it's just harder to come across or do you really need that pure breeding strain to do it? No, no, it, it, it can happen with any, introducing any new, you know, new germplasm. Uh, but the more divergent the, the original parental lines are, the higher the incidence of, of of transgressive segregation that you'll see in the, in the following populations. That's brilliant. Okay, so if someone's looking to like get them put their name on the map to establish you know some reputation for themselves, do you think this is a good route to travel? Like, do you think this might be sort of good advice for an aspiring breeder in terms of how you can make something unique? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, that's 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 where that's where you know, new starts, uh, um, and then you and then you would take you know you would you would you would pick several you know, let's say candidates or you know, uh, from from the F two generation, set them aside and 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 then and then breed them and, and then and then you'd rank their progeny and say okay this one was worth breeding with and this one wasn't and and that's just the way it goes but this is this is pretty standard stuff i mean this is how you know corn breeding's done or anything else i mean that's what breeders do is is they you know try to slam two things together get into the you know the the, the later generations and find something you know exceptional and try to try to make families out of these out of these like you know, individuals and, and some of the families will, will succeed and some of them will fail. And it's just, you're just crunching numbers, really. Okay. That's so interesting. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of things the cannabis community can learn from like modern agriculture that we're sort of only just picking up. So let's use the monkey haze as a sort of reference. How would you go about finding that unique phenotype? You've got your F1 seeds. Where do you go from there? Do you just pop those and try to find that pheno? I just use no, no. F1 seeds. I would I would breed them into them into themselves and come to the F2 before I before I even start looking for anything strangely new and excellent. Ah, fantastic. Okay, so if someone wanted to really try to do this, they really need to be in the F2 or beyond. 
Correct. Beautiful, beautiful. So the goal of uh, this F2 generation is, as you, I think you mentioned it earlier, something more resinous than the deep chunk, but with that haze effect. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, it does. It could be S2. We're just talking about recombination generations. After the F1, anything after you, it could be a B, it could be a first generation back cross. But just the, the next step after F1 is when you're going to get some recombination uh, happening with, within the genes. And, and, and when you reshuffle the deck like that, uh, that's, when, that's when shit gets interesting. Uh, beautiful. And, and out of like a personal curiosity, when you've done this in the past, phenotypically, do the plants look like they might look like one parent, they might look like the other, you just got to hunt them through? Or is that sort of keep a pheno looking like a 50-50? Uh, the F1 will be 50-50, but the F2, it's all over the board, you know, uh, you have, a, you know, massive variation. But that's that's what you're looking for. Uh, you know, a seed buyer would probably hate it <laughs> if, he, if he bought a pack of seeds and it was all across the board. But but if you're but if you're going on the hunt, I mean, that, that's what you're that's what you're looking for, aren't you? You know, show me as many different cards as possible. Yeah. So so with the monkey haze. I think there's like a really notable photo online of this beautiful looking plant. And if I had to guess, I would say that it sort of looks like a slightly more haze leaning plant, but it's obviously got that resin from the deep chunk that we talked about. Has that been your experience in the past that they, because you're looking for that haze effect, you sort of are looking for a haze type plant or not necessarily. You could get like a full deep chunk squat indica looking plant that had that haze effect because it's just the one. Yeah, I don't know. I've I've struck out until now. I haven't gone through a bunch of them, but it's a hard thing, you know, because haze by itself is really, really excellent, you know. And um, you, you know, let's say let's say deep chunk through a bunch of extra resin on it uh, to the naked eye or whatever. But then you know, when you when you start examining the het resin head size and stuff it just doesn't measure up to what haze was doing by itself already uh deep chunk can have incredibly big resin heads too but uh you know getting getting to find those plants um is always tough you know because because it can look more frosty you like you know you were telling me the other you know before about some plant that oh man it's just a resin bomb and stuff but you know, I want to look close. Is it a bunch of is it a bunch of stipe cells? You know, is, is, is there big head size there? I want to see that big head size. You know, with, with anything that I'm doing, I think, you know, that that's uh, that those are the storage containers of what what I'm looking for, and um, the bigger the vessel, the better. Yeah, beautiful answer there, and I agree. Just for anyone listening, we were talking about the Mac, and I think you actually, without knowing much about it, hit it perfectly on the head. A lot of people say that there's a lot of like uh, resin stalks, but not necessarily the heads. And so, you know, what's is that really useful? Not really. <laughs> yeah, no, there, there's no tourist. A train wreck was like that. Northern Lights was like that. You know, there, there's a big long list of plants and modern and modern plants too. You know, modern clones that are you know all hyped up and stuff. And then you get them and look at them, and it's a you know it's it's a it's an empty vessel. <laughs> yeah, they, they have really small heads and, and, you know, just a bunch of a forest of, of, of stalks and, um, and, and they don't get too high, you know, uh, in my experience that, that the big head, you know, uh, individuals do. 
Yeah, totally. Obviously, a lot of people listening very keen to hear about some of the old school days, some of the history. But before we get there, you just referenced, you know, the hype strains. I want to quickly touch on that first. I think a lot of people listening to this would uh, be keen to hear what you like out of the more modern genetics. So I'm wondering, out of, say, the past 20 years since like OG Kush, what has impressed you? What do you think is good weed? Um, the cams and the OGs and, and, uh, gosh, that's put me on a fucking, uh, there's, there's a bunch of them. The haze, the haze, you know, all the haze stuff out, out of, you know, that, that people are hunting down those, you know, those, uh, that East coast haze and stuff. That's, that stuff's uh, pretty good. A lot of these, uh, Northern light haze type things that are around, um, Gosh, you know, there's there. If I was growing outdoor, I'd be saying something like Salmon Creek or something. <laughs> there's some big, there's some plants. Here. Oh, uh, and and even Blue Dream. Um, but you know, I think everybody's just kind of growing for this market and not growing for themselves. And and you know, you try to be honest about what you really like, and 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 you should stick to that because. Uh, the market is ever changing, you know, people get burnt out on, on, on really good plants. Every really good plant comes along. Everybody grows it. The market gets burnt out, demands something else. Everybody stops growing this really fucking good plant. You know, that it's like, Hey dude, what are you doing? What are, you know, don't fucking shit can this thing. This is a fucking fabulous plant, but you know, their buyers don't want it. Don't want it anymore. They've had too much shoved down their throat and they move on and nobody keeps it. And really good plants get lost like that. Yeah, definitely. Look, how about I narrow it down for you? Because I know that you are a very talented outdoor grower. So let's talk outdoor varieties for a little bit. What are some of the MVPs for you? What do you like to grow outdoors? Um, Blue Dream, let's see, Salmon Creek, Big, Big Bud, Trainwreck was a good one outside. Uh, just any plant that that can get really big. We we were messing around, you know. We we used to be able to grow twenty five or something in Mendocino County here, and and so you know everybody finally poked their head out from underneath the trees and started you know doing these big, uh, you know, big plant grows. Uh, you want the plant to be as big as possible. Like you know, I, I've made the mistake of of growing you know, like sour diesel and stuff, and you know, in the same. <laughs> same outdoor thing and that that stuff doesn't go very well at all outdoors um uh blue dream was fucking good and um i even liked blue dream at, as a smoke and my friend over up at csi he laughs and laughs and laughs at me about it you know but but that's my honest opinion this here that, that plant was a pretty good smoke and it was fucking absolutely bulletproof and and, and a host of other categories you know and that and that 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 matters. That matters a lot, you know, when, when you're evaluating plants. And and what what doesn't fucking matter, at least to me, is you know whether or not the fucking market wants it or not. You know, I'm not gonna not gonna you know you know grow grow for that anymore. Or I, I see, I'm full of shit. I have been doing exactly that, but shame on me for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, don't worry. I think we can all relate to that in a sense. You did reference the Salmon Creek uh, Big Bud, which is a very interesting strain because it's hard to get information on it. I guess I would be interested to hear 
What was your opinion on the high? Because a lot of people like to bar and humbug Big Bud and say it's just a cash crop strain. It wasn't good. But there are a lot of people who say well, the Salmon Creek one was actually really special. What's your thoughts on it? I'd probably say it was like a high B and uh, go with the former opinion. It, it was just a cash crop thing, but it was, it was you know, it was acceptable and stuff. But yeah, it just grew really, really well. And it was just absolutely bulletproof. And it could come out really well, a lot better. Like if you, you know, indoors and stuff, I've seen it look really, really good. But yeah, it wasn't all that. Maybe a high B. Certainly not grade A, certainly not grade A weed, no. Very interesting. Okay. And I mean, out of curiosity, you, you said that, sour diesel doesn't grow particularly well outdoors which you know that's that's definitely something we hear around were you a fan of indoor sour diesel because there was certainly a time where it sort of took everyone you know by storm um and weren't the chems around by then yeah they were around before yeah yeah you know i like sour diesel you know it's it's a, it's a good high but it's like it's like a thirty-minute high, man. You know, you, a, after thirty minutes, you you just like you got to smoke more. It's probably great for the guys out on the block, sling it, slinging twenty bags or whatever. But uh, you know, I mean, if it it it, it wasn't something that I would that I would want to keep around because of the, the the duration of the high. However, that fucking plant uh, processes better into concentrates uh, than any other plant I've seen in, in decades, decades. Yeah, that's interesting. Are you a big concentrate guy or more into flour? I'm more into flour, but, and you know, I mean, if you got a toothache or something, you're gonna grab, reach for something stronger. You know, I'll, I'll do that. If I'm in, in, you know, massive pain, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll turn to hash. Yeah, nice. Okay, so with the the sour diesel, and you just referenced, you know, its ability to make really good concentrates. Are you are you a bubble guy? Do you like BHO or sauce or like whatever? What's your thing? I don't have a preference really, um, but that plant, sour diesel, it's like the first one that I've seen go through all of those things you just listed, and and still be able to you know, to be able to be identified, you know, so, so many plants, uh, you run, you run it through water extraction and, and, um, it all just, it tastes like generic hash after, you know, smells like generic hash, all this other stuff. I've seen uh sour diesel that was, you know, BHO propane and, and, uh, and smoke like sour diesel, it, you know, it, it's essence just comes through with flying colors, uh, so, you know, for all of its faults as a grower, as a, you know, as a plant for growing, uh, it makes up for it in that, for sure. And it's a good smoke. It's a good smoke. Just the flower doesn't last long of a high. But otherwise, you know, it's, it's a good plant. But the low, you know, bottom half of it's going to be empty usually. You know, it's just got such internodal lengths and all these other things that go against it, you know, when you're trying to grow it outdoors that it wasn't a it wasn't a contender for the big pots no way yeah i I like that classification system not a contender for a big pot that's a good way to put it um out of curiosity on the other end of the spectrum you know you were saying it doesn't last very long what are some strains to you that you feel really have the legs and go the mile Oh, this one I just smoked. I wish I, w- I knew what it was. I'm going to get with my neighbor and ask him what the hell it is. But yeah, uh, um, Hazel, Hazel, Hazel put you down for like four hours. Um, 
a really, really long high. OG, you know, OG will knock you out for a couple hours. Now there's a bunch of them. Uh, I think I think the cams too are real good. Uh, but most 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 varieties that I've tried uh, recently, nothing stands out like you know the old tie or anything, uh, or you know or haze that gonna you know you're going into four or five hours. Um, not nothing, none of this modern stuff does. Um, that I've tried recently. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And with the haze, let's go back to that. What, like, what was your introduction? How did you get the haze seeds, and what sort of stimulated you to do it? Did you hear magical things about haze, and were like, "Hey, I got to check that out myself"? Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> that's a funny, that's a funny story. You know, um, in I think it was. 93 or something i i got camped on up here you know helicopters came and took all my shit so you know there was they could see it through the manzanita it was packed full under there you know <laughs> probably changed the color of the green of that manzanita for those helicopters um <laughs> and stuck out like a sore thumb but um so the plan was to go deeper in the shade, right? So I wouldn't get camped on. And I, I was taken in by those damn brochures from from all the seed banks back then, you know, about how Durban poison will produce good chunky buds even during the worst season and all this other stuff. And I'm thinking Amsterdam, fuck, that's a place is a fucking foggy, cloudy mess, isn't it? <laughs> Do they even get any sun? Do they give, even get any sun over there? And I'm like, if it, if it produces good there, maybe I could take that shit under some deeper cover and still be able to produce it. So, you know, away I went on my seed, on my seed, you know, journey to go get all this awesome variety that I was reading about in this brochure, in these brochures and such. And I got there and, uh, you know, and, and I would go out and I would go get samples from all the different coffee shops and have them all labeled and stuff and try them out. And then if, if I liked one, I would find out where they had these seeds for this thing in town and, you know, I'd go about it like that. Well, the haze, had, had, uh, they were selling. So, so there was some really good haze. This would have been the winter of 94, 95. Uh, you know, I was there over Christmas and all that and New Year's. Um there was some really good haze from from one of the older coffee shops at the time i forgot who had it but but it was and it was kind of brown but that stuff was really really good and really trippy and i already had haze seed on my list i needed to find those um but even though <laughs> even though after i got it man i kept going to buy more of that haze for the rest of my trip it kind of fucked up my t my testing you know <laughs> of all these varieties i was supposed to be <laughs> supposed to be testing all these varieties but it's like fucking haze was all i wanted to smoke and, you know and i finally found it you know they had it all over town and in, in various hybrid forms and stuff and, and i bought a few of those too but i could only find it at positronics then uh that, that said it was in pure form Ah, very interesting. And out of curiosity, did you end up picking up any other seeds on that trip that ended up being like a, a memorable variety or was it really just haze that cut it? There, uh, it was, there was 27 varieties I brought back, I remember. And um, it was just a haze that I ended up keeping in the end. My friend my friend liked one of the, one of the early skunks uh, that, that I think Sam had at the time uh, through Positronics. 
And uh, that was a plant that that delivered up here. You know, most people are harvesting beginning to mid October, and this this thing was out of the ground by, you know, by mid September or something. And uh, and that meant a lot up here. You know, an extra month of of not having to evade camp and stuff. You know, so he really liked that one. It wasn't particularly good smoke or anything, but it made him a lot of money. You know, it was certainly a good grower. Ah, interesting, interesting. Okay. And so when you got back and you're growing them out, what was it like that first time? Do you remember like the pheno hunt? Oh, my friend, my friends still have songs were created about it. Man. Like I said, you know, we tried to grow these things in kind of our normal shady spots and stuff. And, and none of them produced anything close to decent bud. You know, these things are used to being selected under lights and stuff and all, you know, they work really well indoors, but you can't take that shit under the shade, man. It, it, it just, it, you grow stuff that that buyers would even back then, you know, would would turn their nose up at, and and back then people would take anything, you know, they were lucky to know a grower kind of thing, but uh, but yeah, oh, it got me mad. I you know, it was horrible. It was a horrible experience. I've hated everything from from Holland since. <laughs> just just kidding. <laughs> So what was it like when so I'm I'm assuming you you like F2'd him and and then grew him again and like that was when you found sort of the magic or how did that happen when you actually were able to get something good off it and were like this is it oh, I I think I had like 60 seeds or something I don't know uh uh I think uh Positronic sold 15 seeds per pack back then I had like four of them or something so I had 60 and I think I grew up 10 the first year and I found a really fucking good plant. And I was like, holy fucking shit. You know, this stuff is really fucking good. It was nothing like the haze I was smoking on the street in Amsterdam, though. You know, that was more of the, the one that, that uh, you know, that Chanty and Neville and all them work with, which is a, it was more of a kind of leathery, uh, incense thing going on, teak wood kind of a flavor. Um, and the one I had uh, grew was totally different. I was like, what the hell is this? This, is, this isn't the shit I was smoking, but, uh, but, uh, I, you know, double take fuck, but it's really fucking good. Um, and, and so I knew that there was good stuff in it, but I didn't save a clone. I didn't do any breeding. I was like, fuck later. I was like, I wish I didn't even grow those out. I immediately went to open pollination out of that and made more seeds, um, uh, with the 50 or so seeds or whatever I had left. Uh, and I've, you know, I've, I've just open pollinated since then, but it did start with a population of 50, I think, and, um, or something like that. Oh, lovely. Something like that, but I've always open pollinated them I and I've, I've tried to grow it in various, you know, I've, tried, I've done half seed selection on it and I've tried to, you know, collect seeds for only from the, my favorite, you know, and, and, you know, so you're basically saving seeds from, you know, your po male pollen mix on, all these different haze girls in a greenhouse and whichever your favorite is, you know, set aside those seeds from it and stuff. So be half said, half said because of the male pollen mix. But, um, and you know, I don't know. I've never really made any progress with it, to be honest. You know, it still sits there kind of right where it was at 5% kick your ass and, and, and a whole bunch of hay and, you know, few ones other ones that aren't worth writing at home about but you thought we're going to be good and uh but that small percentage is awesome so so because i've never made any any progress with it 
if I'm, you know, going to grow some out, um, I, I reach for the open pollination shit, you know, because it's less bread. And um, it has the same damn ratio as, as anything that I tried to make any progress with. So I hold more value on the open pollination seed stock uh, pace than I have. That's brilliant. Before we jump into some open pollination stuff, I've got to ask, that first time you ran them, that key, that killer plant you got, have you like how would you describe that? Because you said you know it was different to the Amsterdam stuff. How would you describe it? And have you seen that phenotype pop up again since then? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, when it's on. When when it's good, uh, that it's a really really good good smoke. It's just incredibly potent. Like, um, you know, geez, I've I've walked into the bathroom and looked at myself in the mirror and like talked to myself and said, "I'm high. I'm so fucking high. Oh my god!" And you know. I, and uh, and that's really silly shit, you know. I mean, uh, and not, there's there's nothing else out there that'll make you do that kind of stuff. And 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 you, you'll be you know looking around for your telephone, using the flashlight on your fucking telephone. You know, where's my phone? <laughs> it's in your hand, right? And you fucking and then you just and you just have these moments of holy shit, I'm fucking high. Um, and and Hayes is really. Uh, it, you know, it's it's number one at doing that to you. That's brilliant. What sort of flavors and terpenes did it have? Well, it's like I I just I just call it really Thai like. It's kind of citrusy. There's some there's a bunch of weird stuff going on in haze. I call it a high school metal shop. Like their stems will will smell like almost like metal, like a high school metal shop, like oil, you know, machine oil and stuff. Oh, uh, it's got some really weird evil kind of smells going on, but the ones that I usually gravitate towards will have a have a citrusy kind of uh, you know dominant profile. Oh, lovely! That sounds right up my alley. I uh, wanted to delve into the open pollination stuff because, as you mentioned, it's uh, one of your preferred breeding techniques, at least with the haze. How do you go through and do an open pollination on the technical level? Do you do you cull any plants? What sort of uh, criteria would you use if you were going to cull anything? Sure, yeah, I would. Um, I would. Uh, well, I, I would say I try to shoot for you know at least a hundred plants in an open pollination, uh, so as not to back yourself in too much of a corner, um, or as many as you can. You know, if you could do more, great. You know, more is better. You know, so you're not so you're not losing anything that you want to keep. Um, but you know, but there's a couple of instances also where, you know, you don't want the, the population to sway in any one direction. Like if I have an early male that's coming along, right. And, uh, this guy's about ready to shoot his load and every other male in the damn room is, is behind him. I'll go ahead and top that male and cut his input back, you know, lessen his, his effect. I don't want him robbing them, having a lion's share of pollination in the room just because he was earlier. You know, that, that, that's, you know, it's leaving out too, too many other plants that you probably are going to want there in the end, you know? Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. That makes sense. And do you pay much attention to, like, runts or anything, like, you know, things that are, like, sort of lacking in compared to the others, or you you're not too fussed about that? You just let it all go? Yeah, I, I I include them. I include them. You know, they might they they could who the fuck knows, you know. 
they there might be correlations that we have no fucking idea about um and uh it's you know have you has anybody in the world ever that you know seen this massive yielding perfect plant that also happens to rip your head off you know and it seems like they shouldn't be you know it shouldn't you know i mean it's not even like hitting the lotto you just don't see them you know they're fucking unicorns so um <laughs> I don't know. They're, I'm not going to leave them out. I, I'm going to let. I'm going to let them. I'm going to let them do their thing. And and you know, their their input would be small, right? Because they're just a fucking runt. Yeah, that's an interesting way to think about it. So you're not too worried about fucking up the population at all. What you're what you're worried about when you're doing this is in, including everything that you possibly can, uh, as big as numbers as possible, and just stand back. And, and just and just let that happen though too. You have to kind of you know, like I said, you have to guard that like an early male doesn't pollinate everything you know, or, you know, uh, weeks before the other males shed any pollen. That that would be catastrophe, you know. So that's the one thing I do keep an eye out is early males, and I'll just cut them back a little bit. I'll, I'll turn them into a runt. I'll say just because you're early, you know, doesn't doesn't mean you get the lion's share of of, of being a daddy, you know. And I think that gives you a nice, uh, you know, mix of genetics in, in the open pollination. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, that's good to hear that you uh, keep them all in. And yeah, I think a lot of people would sort of cull those early ones. So that's, I'm going to give that a go next time I do an open pollination is just topping it, but leaving it in there because you still get that mix. I like that. Yeah, you can you can mess with there. If anything's, you know, looks like it's going to get the lion's share of pollination, you know, you can just, you know, lessen that plant's input really easy with a pair of fucking scissors in the room, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just to loop back to Hayes for a second, you know, it seems like it's had this massive resurgence probably around the time Neville passed. It started to gain a lot of traction. And I think we're now starting to see more and more hazes come out of the woodworks. Why do you think haze is becoming so popular? Do you think it's just people are realizing there are these really special phenos? No, the market's just coming around again. You know, we, we, we probably, you know, was it's been super popular before. But and then everybody fucking had it. And then the fucking buyers said, hey, man, we don't want anything but fucking this. <laughs> you know, great plants come along and that's what happens to them and they get shit canned because there's pressure coming from outside to deliver something else but here's what happens with the really good ones they come back you know a couple years later when everybody gets sick of whatever the newest kid on the block is these these buyers and customers so they'll come back and they'll say hey man you got any of that fucking old shit still <laughs> you know they they miss it they have they have to you know come around in their head that this this was a really fucking good plant, and haze is it really is you know it's one of the one of the best plants in you know in modern history for sure with zero doubt maybe the best. Wow, I like that. I love that you uh, have such a passion for it. And a little bit earlier, you did reference NL five haze. I would love to hear your thoughts in terms of like, do you think they're comparable or are they just totally different beasts in your mind? Well, in most categories, they're better. Um, uh, you know, I mean, they certainly, any hybrid will certainly yield better. Um, I've seen them have big, giant heads, you know. Our friend uh, of the community, what's his name, obsolete. I've seen some incredible macros with these big, giant heads. So there, there's some great parents in there. There's zero doubt. 
and I've smoked some that completely ripped my head off too. Um, I think they're both great. I think there's great stuff in, in all of the, those haze lines, you know, you just have to be willing to run, run the numbers. And have you tried any of the current popular ones like uh, the PIF or the Cuban Black Haze? No, I haven't. Not neither one of those um, that I know of. I, I know a couple of people who have had it, and and I've been meaning to. Um, but when 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 I hear the stuff described, <laughs> it sounds a lot like the stuff that I was smoking out of the coffee shops in you know in Amsterdam in 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 ninety four, late ninety four, early ninety five. Yeah, definitely. I think you mentioned it being like incense and that is how these haze cuts are described. Yeah, and and the stuff was really spacey too. You know, it's a, a really cool, a really cool visual and and audio kind of trippy high. Interesting. And can we maybe expect to see some haze seeds being offered from you at some point in the future? Well, I like the idea of finding a, a, a yeah, I'll be running haze uh, always, you know, I mean, I'm not going to, not going to not grow some haze. It's, and now it's like I said, now is a great time to do it because the market's so fucked up anyway. You know, you can kind of take a little vacation and do what you really want to do. But I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I more care about finding, I have plenty of hay seed. Or I'm more, uh, excited about finding a clone <laughs> you know because i've never really done it never never saved a haze clone and fuck i've seen so many of them go by from seed that i should have saved you know um and you know it'd be a pain in the butt to grow uh, even from even from clone but um why not you know why not it's pretty fucking special i i think uh it stacks up against anything, anything, um, when it's when it's on. Ah, okay. And like, is your idea to breed with it, or like, sort of disseminate it out to the community? Um, yeah, I'd love to have it, you know, out in people's hands. Uh, and I don't know if I would breed with it. I think I'd stick with haze. I'm just and and all of my old lines. I just stick with open pollination is least frequently as possible and you know the best possible storage in you know in the interim yeah definitely i've seen you post about um your seed storage online how do you like to store seeds long term well we don't have much of a choice up here um uh, we bury them under the frost under the frost levels under the you know the frost level in different areas will, will be different depths here it's about I don't know two and a half three feet. So you dig a hole about three feet deep and get an army, um, you know, ammo can has a good seal on it and such to keep ammunition dry. Um, those are good storage containers for for burying seed. And it's about you know it's not as good as a refrigerator, but it's about you know I think 55 degrees Fahrenheit or something Earth temperature. And it, and it doesn't vary a lot from summer to winter. It doesn't freeze and it, and it doesn't bake during the summer. So it's a it's a, about like burying them in King Tut's tomb, I guess. And it's a pretty good option. Um, but but refrigerator would be better. But we were always concerned about getting busted. You know, back in the old days, you'd get busted and they and they take everything like that. And so you didn't want to have them around the house. You want any nothing safe until it's in the bank of the woods around here. 
<laughs> you know, we, we, we bury everything that has any value. And my seed stash has always come into that category. I, I keep two of them. I keep another ammo can that's not buried, that, you know, kind of a remnant seed thing that I use for handing out and sending out and stuff like that. But it doesn't keep as well as the stuff that I bury and, and let set there. Ah, and do you have like a certain time frame you like to, like, you know, every five years I restock it or like what, how do you do it? Do a germ test, you know, germination test and, and write down what percentage you got up, you know, every five years or something. Um, I, you know, stored well, they'll, they'll go 20 years at least. Um, I usually try to open pollinate after about 10 years when, when, uh, when, or, or when, whenever you get close to 50%, you know, you have a germ test that's down to 60% or something. You, you better get you better get going again yeah sure 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 that makes sense and you referenced a few questions ago you know that like popular strains come back in fashion and i wanted to know it seems like the peak or maybe just over the peak of uh the roadkill skunk obsession did you ever have any experience with it and if so do you think it's worth the hype well, these these <laughs> these hills were filled with all that stuff back in the day. Um, it was super, you know. It was everywhere, you know. M- most of the Ganys and 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 Pakistan weed that came up in here, the broadleafs that came up through here, m- most of it, I would say, was skunk. Uh, was very skunky, you know, old school in the old school way manner uh, or definition rather. Um, but you know everybody bred away with it away from it you know that that's the reality and uh and they wouldn't have if it was worth the hype now would they um i i think that uh it's just not a very exciting uh profile really to be honest with you you know uh, because other ones in the end for the most part have won the day and uh and for one reason or another you know they're they're uh, there's only a few of them around today, you know, they can, and they're like chems and, you know, the, and, and, you know, diesel and stuff like that has, it's getting close to, to what these guys are talking about, but, uh, it's different. It's way more evil. You know, the, the old skunk wasn't so evil as any of these new popular, uh, uh, cuts. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, cause like what I've heard a lot of is that, the the turp profile some people have found things similar but they're often like not super potent would you say that was your experience with it yeah i think that that's the reason that everybody or you know the majority of it got bred out of the gene pool is because it it wasn't the bag that got emptied first you know out of your samples um just it didn't it didn't tick some important boxes that and back then we weren't growing for the market or what the buyers said that they wanted back then we could grow whatever we wanted you know because buyers would come up here they would they'd buy whatever the fuck you had they were lucky to know a grower you know uh so back then we had this freedom to 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 grow what we wanted you know what we liked and and and, and we could sell anything that we wanted no problem that's just gonna sell uh, but you could actually grow what you wanted you know, and that's the, that's kind of like what I'm excited about the way the industry is now, and and the prices are so far down, it's getting really close to that again. You you can just you can just grow whatever the fuck you want. 
you know <laughs> i like that yeah 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 and i mean i remember you you said a comment to me that sort of left a lasting impression which was like the bag of weed sets the ticket and i think the question in, for a lot of growers and what they're wondering is like what can i do to find something that's going to be able to do that like what's going to be impressive enough that it sets its own ticket do you have any advice i think well i think historically you know tie weed did it when it started getting imported uh, um you know by ships into the harbors here on the west coast uh, you know back in the late 70s or something it it, it came along it was like 1800 dollars um, when everything else was like you know, two or three hundred dollars at the time. Tie weed certainly hit America by storm, and and it was able to write its own ticket as far as how much it's worth. I think Hayes can do the same, and, and I don't see anything else doing it really. You know, but it, certainly, you know, you, you, that that whole New York, that back east Hayes stuff. You know, that stuff uh, could be pretty expensive. You know, uh, certainly, uh, it was uh, pretty elite stuff to get a hold of, and and people willing to pay a lot of money for it. You know, you'll hear Clark uh, talk in the old days how, how like even way back when, Hayes was going for like 400 bucks an ounce or something, something like that. I think it can do that today. I think if you went out and found a kick-ass Hayes clone, you could pretty much just decide what you were gonna sell it for and and and, and, and people would buy it. That's really interesting. I really like that because it sort of flies in the face of what would intuitively seem like the right thing, which like you might think to yourself, oh, I need to like make my own thing and like become unique through that. But it's sort of like not necessarily going to guarantee you're going to get like a really good end product. Whereas with the haze, as you said, like it's tried and tested and no one's filling that niche right now. So it's almost like a space in the market waiting to be filled. Right. Well, I'm not thinking about it from that angle, really, about the market. But I, I, the, you know, the reason that you could do that with stuff like this is because it's just so much fucking better than anything out there. Um, you know, and introducing seed is one thing, but when you introduce hay seed, you're introducing, you know, this big giant percentage of hay to people. That's that's you know, it's like smoking rope. Um, you know, and that's, you know, that's not, that's not so valuable, but if you, but if you introduced a, a Hayes clone that, you know, or that was just epic, well, now you're doing something for society, you know, now you're, now you're, uh, now you're doing well. Definitely. And for anyone out there who's feeling particularly inspired by listening to this, do you have any recommendations for growing Hayes indoor or like, do you just like, I don't recommend that? <laughs> I uh, my my good friend I guess CBF he grows it he's been growing it indoors um I never have I've always grown it in a greenhouse um but CBF grew a lot of this of my seed indoors over the years and uh I think he just tries to flower it out as fast as he can and it's still going to be you know six foot plus two meters plus uh, no matter what you do um kind of thing and it just becomes a jungle just good, good luck you know i guess just just <laughs> it, it, it's i mean now from clone you know if you you know just started flowering a clone a rooted clone that's probably where it's at you know and then i bet you could finish it up under five feet or so 
but growing it from seed, good luck because that thing it, it's not you know it's not even going to start flowering for for what you know two months if you're lucky, and then and then it's going to and then it's going to keep stretching for like two months after that, and um, it, it's a nightmare uh, to not just let go you know go for it. Wow, I can only imagine just these most monstrous trees at the end of it all. Uh, what about outdoors? It'll, it'll go 15, 20 feet, you know. Um, if you, I've never even really grown it to, to try to see how big I can grow it. But that type of plant, it, they, they get so big. You know, the, the, it'll get, you know, huge in, in six months of life cycle if you started in, in the summer. I can't imagine what it would be like, like, you know, starting it in, in the spring and letting it have all summer and, and then stretch all through fucking September and October and all that. And then, you know, finally come in and it's probably November, late November, uh, even in De- December, it, it, the plant would be huge. It would be huge. Several meters, you know, probably four, four or five, I don't know, six meters maybe. <laughs> I, I, I can't ima- I can totally imagine. Ty grew like that up here too. It would get huge. Setting records. And I mean, you grow a lot of outdoors, so I'm assuming you're growing in soil. Can you give us a bit of a rundown of how you grow? Like, what sort of amendments do you use? Anything interesting? I've always been a big fan of chicken shit outdoors. So, um, you know, it's a it's a very balanced food, and it lasts about three months or something. You know, and that's a pretty good that's a pretty good uh, amount of time. Um, I like bone meal and chicken shit, but I, I haven't grown these large outdoor plants. You know, most of most of everybody, including myself, has just been doing depths for for years, light depths and and greenhouses. You know, um, but uh, and that's an even shorter lifespan. So um, you know, we're we're going that would be different. But for the long outdoor season, I like chicken shit and bone meal. Beautiful, beautiful. And do you do like a like a super soil sort of thing in the sense that you put that at the bottom and then some regular soil on top and then the plants on top of that, or is it just that's the whole medium? No, that's just kind of what I start out with, and and then you know I'll do some feeding and of of like fish and 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 liquid, you know, like uh, various organic bottled nutrients you know, a couple of times on the outdoors, but, but in the, uh, God, it's been years since I've really grown outdoors. My, you know, my outdoor pots now are filled with mama plants to take fucking cuts off of for the second run on the light taps. <laughs> so what sort of a feeding and soil regime do you use for when you're doing light depth? Oh, like, uh, you use these these injectors are real popular where uh you know you grab a, just grab some age old organic or something you know one of the liquid uh organic uh, fertilizers and use these these injectors um where where it just it auto mixes you know with the hose yeah and uh you can just feed really easy that way um you know, you know the old days of sit running around with granny cans and dipping them into a slurry of of you know 55 gallon barrels filled with you know study are over you know <laughs> i love it modern problems require modern solutions <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs>
You're asking about soil and stuff. Yeah, and I use grow bags. Some some people use to you know make beds and stuff, but my beds have always scared me a little bit. You know, I mean they're really easy to prep and stuff because you can just run a rototiller over the thing, you know, and and till in some amendments, you know, each year or whatever. But uh, but pathogen ripping through there or or vermin ripping through there, you know, you get a vole or something ripping through your and, and they're like you'll you'll be like you know gophers tearing up your you know Bugs Bunny cartoons, you know any type of soil borne pathogen or critter can wreak havoc in a in a in a in a raised bed uh, once he gets in there. So I, I like the I like. I like to use grow bags for, for that uh, reason, but I do use soil. But if I get a problem in grow bags, it's isolated to that one singular bag, you know. But then feeding it becomes a nightmare, you know, because you can't just run drip tape or whatever over grow bags. You have to get a hose on it or, you know, or drip line or something else. But um, so those injectors work out really well for that. Yeah, definitely. The automation and the reduction of labor is hugely important. I was curious, though, in your depths, do you use any external lighting? Um, you know, we always used fluorescents in the past, and and uh, but everybody's using these string lights now, and and they seem to work because as you know, as dim as they are, they hardly got give off any light, and they use you know almost no electricity. You know, these the, the string lights are like LED strings for having cocktail parties in the suburbs or whatever. An amazingly low amount of light, yeah, will keep them in veg uh, when, you, when, you, when you get that early jump in the spring. And then the second one, the hours are long enough that you're not worried about lighting. You know, and uh, everybody, <laughs> everybody um, is talking about mixed lighting these days and stuff, where if they try to, you know... And, go too early or something they'll have some bigger lighting systems in there to help it along and then fight off like it's some hybrid system of indoor but that's you know you don't need to do that if you grab a bigger chunk of the good growing season yeah definitely definitely so i would love to jump into some of the older history and the early stuff so let's go back to the start tell me what was your first experience with cannabis Oh God, I was 14 years old and um, I smoked out of a can pipe with, uh, with a couple of my friends who I've known since, you know, junior high and, and had brought both of them up to the mountain and we've all done the same thing, you know, I've known them forever. Um, <laughs> and, they're, and they're still up here, or one of them is, but they both own property up here and such, you know. Um, and that started when I was 14, probably Mexican weed. Some shitty fucking northern, northern Mexican weed, you know, brown town, back in you know in the suburbs of L.A. or the or the South Bay on the coast there, um, about of Los Angeles. That's all you had back then, you know. So you'd get some good green bud occasionally, but most people were smoking Mexican weed back then. Yeah, interesting. And did it have a memorable impact on you? Well, I liked it. <laughs> yeah, I liked it a lot, you know, and I would probably smoke the next day too. <laughs> and the day after that and the day after that for a long time. Um, you know, that was, uh, well, it was 40 years ago now, I guess. 
Yeah, wow. And then so what was your progression like then? Did you just begin to smoke more and eventually you decided you wanted to start growing? Like what was the transition from casual smoker to the next level for you? Um, be, being impressed enough by that tie weed to, to uh, that chocolate tie that used to go around in Los Angeles, probably came into Long Beach Harbor, I think. And, and it was around those beach cities, uh, of Los Angeles and it was good enough. And, and at the same time, books were coming out, you know, to teach the backyard growers of the seventies to actually how to grow some bud, you know? Uh, before that, they were like smoking leaves and shit. It was pretty funny, but um, but I, it was a book. Uh, the Primo Plant, Jerry Garcia's wife. Uh, we called her Mountain Girl back then. Um, had r- written this book, The Primo Plant, that you know ran through you know how to grow and how to you know call the males and all that, and and that and along with that tie weed, um, you know that's what I wanted to grow. And so yeah, I was I was over that I was over. I used to work for this guy that had this tie weed, and he had this big gardener. And you know, it was a landscaping business. The guy loved flowers and all that. And um, he had this big giant rooftop deck, and we would grow a few up there. So it was what we called chocolate tie at the time, and that uh, and. And and that's why I say that, that my favorite haze, it, it, it's just the same as that. You know, the difference is that chocolate tie, that seed was, it was, it was predictable, you know, like you, you grow a couple of those plants and, you know, and they're, they were all good. You know, it was, it was, it was amazing. Wow. What a, what a brilliant introduction and growing your own chocolate tie. I bet it was delightful. Yeah, it was. So... What happened from then? Did you begin to start growing in LA? No, not really. I, I started. I, I knew. I, I happened into somebody. It was a friend of the family uh, who was selling this really killer bud in Santa Monica, and um, I was uh, seventeen years old. And he said, "Hey, man, I've been. You know, I've been grow. I was probably sixteen actually." He said, hey, "I've been growing this stuff that you've been buying. I got this place in Northern California. You know, you want a job." And I said, hell, hell yeah. And that's that's when I came up here. It was a winter of 86, I think. Uh, my first crop was in 87. So, yeah, and I've been here ever since. Oh, my Lord. So much to go. What Like, that's such a cool opportunity. When you got up there, were there plants there? Did you pick the seeds? What were you growing? Oh, all the varieties that he had and everybody else, you know, around the neighborhood had... Uh, you know, the chemist was one guy that had a particularly good variety of seeds and, you know, everybody in the neighborhood back there, they would, they would share what they had and, you know, you, you grew a little bit of everything, checked stuff out and stuff and developed your own favorites. And, um, and that's what I did anyway. I think that's what everybody was doing back then. But yeah, there was no shortage of variety, you know, and, and lots of that's gone by the wayside too. And it's, it's because they were, you know, if they were somebody's favorite and they didn't save him, save him, well, that, that's on them. You know, you should you should be honest with yourself about what's your favorite. I still got Deep Chunk and Haze, man. That's my favorite. <laughs> if the whole world, if the whole world did that, you know, uh, cannabis would be a lot better off. Uh, cannabis culture would be a lot better off. Uh, 
you know, we would have this awesome gene pool that was incredibly diverse and that had little pockets of, of homozygosity and, and such. You'd have true breeding lines that would develop because they were, you know, that's all they had to your favorite. You know, that's what, that's what you should be growing. You should be growing what floats your boat and you should be doing something about that to keep it, to keep it alive. We'll come back to that topic because it is one worth visiting for sure. But you mentioned the chemist. I think a lot of the information online says the chemist was your father, but I think based on what you just said, he wasn't. No, he's, he's just a friend and neighbor. Um, he, he's in, until this day. Uh, he's still up here. He's just one of the original guys that, you know, that were up here when people started coming up and, and you know, realizing you know that they could get that, that they get that same price for that California green bud up north that that Thai was fetching. You know, it started out about eighteen hundred bucks. You could get a pound of Thai or Northern California Sensimia. Um, that's that's really what changed everything into into something that where people could make the money up here. Before that, uh, it was just back to the landers that were yeah they were growing some grass, but. It wasn't really for profit. It was for, you know, putting away over the winter. Wow. Okay. And so what was it like for you to begin to acquire some of the strains you're known for? Because, you know, there's the X18, the pine tar. What was the journey like to pick some of these strains up? Were they just things that went around or did you have to go out of your way to get them? Well, I used to grow with the chemist. Um, You know, we, we were partners on a few things. And that, so I knew all of his lines really well, and I just hit him up, you know, hey, give me this, give me that, um, you know. And I was already into the into the science of it at the time, which he and he's a real chemist, you know. He's an, he's a scientist in his previous life, you know. I think he was making the flavor grape or some shit in a lab somewhere, but um, but he is a scientist and kept really really good notes, and and that impressed me. Um, and, and I had a good grasp of breeding and that impressed him. So he, so he's been pretty open with his lines, but he, you know, he's a friend. He just visited me a couple of weeks ago. We had dinner. Um, he's still around he's up in his seventies now or something, but, uh, he's real healthy. Oh, that's fantastic to hear that you're still in touch and that he's doing well. That's amazing. Like, I think I might be wrong here, but was it the pine tar kush was the X-16? 15, I think. Okay. Actually, it's it's D15. The the chemist we call is, you know, other nickname is D, and it was number 15 from the chemist, and and the 18 was to 18. Yeah, okay. And so it sounds like there was a number of interesting strains. What was it about the other ones which made you think they weren't quite worth looking into more in the way the ones you picked were? Well, I snagged I snagged the Indian off of him too, which was his number nine, um, and uh, these were these were all of my favorites. Um, he had a bunch of hybrids and stuff, but I wasn't interested in that. These ones were the ones that went back back to their parentage, and that because the hybrids were really nice too. I was like, yeah, same thing like when I went to Holland. I, I want the fucking parents. I'll make my own hybrids. Thank you very much. <laughs> I love it, a man that knows what he wants. Okay, that makes sense if the other ones were hybrids. Interesting. Okay, so in that case, did he ever tell you where he got some of those things from? 
I know where I yeah, I think the uh I think the North Indian Indica come off of Bell Springs Road here in Mendocino County. And then the uh the uh, the PTK and the X eighteen come off of another grower that's still with us in here in the neighborhood too. Um same guy that used to grow some Hawaiian. Um that 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 he got off of him when he did some work with him. Um, you know, back then people used to have little projects together and such and, and they would share and then the neighborhood all we all know each other and, and you know, it's like this this stuff that I'm smoking today, the neighborhood, you know, comes over and he wants to show off this oh, check this stuff out, man. And uh that's where it all starts. It, it would so you know, I mean, imagine <laughs> it's it's the same as now, uh, that online shit, you know. I mean, but a but a whole different thing, you know, before there were or there was an internet, but it was the same. It's always been that same shit. Somebody's got something. They're like, "Hey, man, this is really good," you know. And they want and they want to show somebody, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. That it was sort of like this tight knit community of people collaborating together. That's really cool. And you mentioned it a few times, so we'll dive down this rabbit hole now. The North Indian. It's got a cult following. I think mostly because it never really got released, and so people have always felt like there was this mystique around it. I certainly have. I've seen you talk about it online and I think you said like, oh, it's people might not like it as much as the other lines. How would you describe it and how come it never really made it to market in the way the other lines did? Well, it's a smaller budded plant. It's one of these ones that have, you know, a little wrap, you know, a little pop, 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 pop all the way up the stem. It doesn't throw together a cola um, really at all. And the buds are kind of this uniform but smaller uh, size, and um, and it's not incredibly resinous, you know, uh, nor nor particularly, you know, incredibly potent, you know. But it had this flavor that just that just crossed out so fucking good with, with everything else that I that I got from the chemist, and you know, I was growing out the hybrids that that he had made, you know, when I was working with him. Um, so I knew it was a, a excellent parental input. And occasionally that thing will throw out some of that roadkill skunk, you know, the super, super skunky stuff. And then, and it jibes that it's not incredibly potent or resinous, but uh, it's a valuable plant to me. I really like that plant when it's on and, you know, hybridized, it crosses out real well. I, I did an open pollination. I remember I was going to get them out there and, and I got super busy. <laughs> this is really a sad story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. So I did, so I did this open pollination until, until the, actually, I think, I think CBF was maybe with, with me that year. He could, my friend CBF uh, online, he, I know him in person and he's a good friend and he came out and spent a summer with me. But so anyway, I had this, um, uh, that Northern Indian Indica uh, or greenhouse filled with a uh, hundred plus plants and did this open pollination and dried, dried the seed and stuff. And, and I just like, you know, I got was super busy with harvesting other things. I just chucked it in a, uh, in a contractor bag, you know, uh, you know, a, a big, you know, black garbage bag. And I, and I threw it in the shed, you know, it was dry. I just you know, kind of put it away. I'm going to go deal. I'll deal with this later. And, uh, I kind of forgot about it in the mid- middle of harp, you know, in the midst of harvest and the chaos and everything. And when I, when I did go check it out, uh, mice had gotten into this fucking bag 
and they just ripped through this and they ate every fucking seed and um and they and they left a bunch of my shit in its in its path you know so my buds were were all shred you know just turned to powder and just a pile of my shit kind of thing as they ate through the plant and, and ate up all of my my precious seed I mean, I still have it. You know, I could just do another open pollination. And I just saw the cabinets the other day and let him know I'm going to be raiding his stash and all that pretty soon because he's not because he's not growing anymore. You know, um, but uh, but it, yeah, it was it was brutal. It was brutal. I just spent you know months and months and months on this open pollination. I chucked it in this fucking old shack, and uh, the mice had got into it and just and went for the seed, straight for the seed, you know, and just ate you know very fucking efficiently every fucking seed in this whole. And you know, this is in a you know several pounds of weed, you know, probably ten pounds of ten pounds of seeded weed or something. You know, this is this is a lot of seeded wheat. You know, over a hundred plants in a in a greenhouse. Uh, so, but yeah, so they went through a lot, and they didn't miss any of them seed either, man. I went through that stuff hoping that I'd find some, at least something, you know, underneath the shake that these the mice had turned all this seeded bud into, and there was nothing but my shit. It was a real drag, man. Oh my god, that's absolutely heartbreaking, and I can only imagine <laughs> how efficiently they went through it. So, so yeah, that that's why it never got released because like that's what happened, you know, when I had that in mind, and so it just got eaten, and it's like, eh, you know, I, I, you know, I'll still do it for myself, but it's not really high priority to like do it and get it all out there and stuff. People probably won't like it anyway, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm interested to know your thoughts on why we don't see Indian more prevalent among users. Do you think it just does relate to the yield thing? I don't know. I think that, uh, you know, I think India has certainly done its fair share of passing some really good grass around the world, that's for sure. Everywhere from, you know, probably Colombia, Jamaica, all that. Uh, I don't know. You never know what happens, you know. I think that yeah, it's probably all crap right now. That's what I'm hesitating to say, but that's that's kind of what I suspect. You know, same. You could say the same thing about Thai. You know, all of these all of these honey pots scattered around the world. It, it has a another factor involved, and that's like you know, by time. You know, uh, you can't keep something great forever, man. And I think if there was a bunch of great stuff in 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 India right now, we we would see great India. You know, I could say the same thing about Thailand right now. Um, you know, there's just not a, a lot of great stuff there, or I, or I think you would see all that stuff. I mean, I think it's there somewhere. I'm a believer, <laughs> but it's hiding in it's hiding in somebody's attic. You know, somewhere <laughs> old seeds that Uncle Joe forgot about. <laughs> yeah, I can completely understand that. I think a lot of people are hoping we find some gold from that. I'd be interested to know your thought because you have grown out a bunch of Indian and a bunch of haze. In your experience, do you see any Indian in the positronics haze, for example? Oh, I probably wouldn't know the difference between, uh, you know, a, uh, a Mexican or an Indian if I saw it growing. You know, certainly some of the... Uh, you know, more tropical Mexicans, uh, or, you know, or I would probably wouldn't know the difference between any of the inputs of, uh, 
except for maybe a Colombian that was purpling up, you know, of any of the inputs. But I, but I don't doubt the, you know, uh, I don't doubt that the that the southern India, mind you, it's not just Indian, it's South India, <laughs> you know, and it's like, wow, that's pretty goddamn specific. And and that was the description that 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 I was uh, looking at at the time, and um, and we've seen Rob Clark write it, and he's a damn good friend with Sam, you know. I don't have any reason to doubt that it's exactly what they say it is. It, it, you could you could trace the lineage back too, and and say that it originally was a Colombian. You know, uh, they may have been selling it already as Hayes by then too. And uh, but I uh, but I I allow for all of it. You know the the uh, description of the the four way hybrid didn't didn't come out of thin air. You know, and when guys like Rob Clark have written it and and other people, you know, who I think were probably around back then. I would call that haze too. It's certainly one of the hazes that was known to Amsterdam and Holland, you know, at the time. Uh, there's just, there's too many descriptions from back then. I was there, you know, to, uh, to change it now. Yeah. While we're on the topic though, I wanted to touch on, are there any other sort of underrated land race or genetic hotspots in your opinion? And I guess to me, India is sort of one that comes to mind that, you know, you don't hear about it quite as much. Are there any others in your mind that you think are a bit like that? Oh, yeah. Well, certainly Southeast Asia, right? I mean, that's probably the the biggest one in, in our life, you know, that cranked out more quality, uh, I think, than any other place. Uh, when you talk about India, uh, boy, that's it's going back hundreds and hundreds of years. That place has, has been, you know, putting out quality. But I don't, I don't see it probably doing it, to, you know, too much today. I don't know what I would call hot today as far as land race varieties. I think, you know, that's a real tough one. I, I, you know, I would say Southeast Asia. I think there's still probably some, you know, even in Thailand and bordering countries, and and neighboring islands, you know, uh, you know, all through that uh, that region, um, that's still holding gold. Um, there might be some good shit in Australia. You guys have smoked some your fair share of some good Thai bud too. I know that's <laughs> I know that's true. Yes, most certainly. I believe uh, at the time, yeah, Australia was privy to some nice import from Thailand. I'm I'm very jealous of all those who got to try it. No, so you don't get it anymore. Yeah, we don't either. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bummer. <laughs> Unfortunately not, no. Are there any spots that you think like really don't get enough attention for what they merit? Like for me, I always think like Korea never really gets discussed much, but I hear from some old timers that like Land Race Korean was really nice. Anything like that for you? I've grown one. I've grown a Northern Korean uh, broadleaf here that was going around the neighborhood uh back in the mid eighties or so, you know, late eighties or something. And, and it was, uh, it was, a uh, very unique in, in flavor. God, I don't even remember. I just remember it really stood out in flavor, but uh, you know, it, it didn't come, it, it wasn't as good as a deep chunk. So I let it go. Wasn't my favorite, but it was super interesting, you know, weird, spicy, incensey kind of evil, uh, thing going on too. It probably would have been a great thing to have today. For, uh, for working in, in hybrids. Yeah, look, I saved the best for last for this reason. 
tell us a little bit about how you came to acquire the deep chunk. I think one of the memorable stories I've read online, though I have some suspicions about its authenticity, is that uh, the seeds came out of a brick of hash. How did it actually go down? No, it was it was a uh, it, it was in a pound of seeded weed that sold for like you know sold for like five thousand dollars a pound when 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 pounds were 1800 um it was it was one that you know these growers accidentally seeded their crop but it was so early and everybody was just getting exposed to to uh um to broadleafs up here you know they were all growing early mexicans up here before you know the the broadly before the afghan and everything else started coming through when everybody started rolling in here up to grow uh and and so yeah it was a pound of it was a pound of seeded weed the, the guy actually <laughs> very entrepreneurial he seeded his crop and instead of saying oh fuck you know he went and sold the seeded weed for like way more than he could have got for for seedless weed at the time um and somebody and it was super unique you know and it was and it, it was like new and exciting and and this and somebody up here bought a pound of a of seeded yeah uh, uh, that afghan for five thousand dollars and um and that's how it got introduced to the neighborhood and it's uh floated around in a few people's hands um back then uh, i got a hold of it and i just held on tight and a lot you know most other people have lost it there might be a couple people that still have it from the old days yeah, wow, interesting. And what was your thoughts when you first grew it out? Were you like, wow, this is something else? No, oh, it, yeah, it really, it really stood out, uh, you know, to to pretty much everybody that sees it for the first time. They're like, what the fuck is this? You know, because <laughs> it's so, it's like cartoon-like in its, in its Jurassicness. <laughs> yeah, it looks like, looks like something out of it from a different world, you know. Yeah, it it truly is something very unique. I think another one of the famous sort of anecdotes that goes around online is that some people have noticed that there's a slightly thinner leafed pheno that sort of pops its head up and it tends to be a very uh, a slightly more cerebral sort of high. Have you ever experienced that the thin leaf deep chunk? Obviously it's still not thin by like equatorial standards, but the thinner leaf deep chunk pheno? Yeah, I've always kept an eye on them. I like that. I like those. Um uh, because I, I think that they have, they have more room for cranking out resin. And I've come across a lot of really, really, really good ones like that uh, in my day. And, it, you know, it, it, a narrower leaf, um, I can say it might, cor- might, might correlate with, uh, you know, a, a higher calyx to leaf ratio, you know. So I think they're, I think they're worth uh, keeping an eye on. Um, I'm not trying to grow a bunch of leafy fucking bullshit, you know. I'm, I'm trying to grow the best resin that I can with that plant. And um, the ones that come out the best flower, you know, uh, are often a, a thinner leaf. Interesting, interesting. And have you ever had any ideas or thoughts about where the deep chunk comes from, like, specifically? I, I was, you know, in Afghanistan, I know that. There was a million of them around here, you know, at the time, but it was one of the more extreme ones, you know, and I, and I, and I thought it, I found it really cerebral too. And so I kept it. 
and pretty consistent you know i mean and and you know it could like i said before earlier it could do really well in the shade you know those fucking leaves are great solar panels yeah amazing i mean out of curiosity were there ever any other things that went around back in the day like sort of around that time that were maybe unique in a sense or memorable for some reason hundreds hundreds you know so it's it's hard to even talk about them but except to say that i cry myself my to sleep at night for you know fucking up and not keeping more of it you know even though it wasn't my favorite but i'm I'm happy that i've kept my you know what was my favorite you know so i kind of feel like i'm off the hook (laughs) yes trust me i'm gonna give you the all clear we're very grateful for what you've given us so i mean while we're on the topic we had a gypsy nirvana on not long ago and he he told me that um you had this interesting story about like winning the cannabis cup with deep chunk. Do you remember that? I just remember that, you know, he was the first guy that kind of jumped away from, you know, the politics of the, you know, the whole politics of the, uh, cannabis cup there. Um, you know, the high times one, uh, people were paying to paying to enter, paying to win. And it's kind of a, kind of a shifty scenario and he, he and he just you know he wanted to you know make it more of a you know anybody can anybody can come over here and 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 enter the contest you know and i think i sent him a couple ounces and um and i've won the fucker i couldn't believe it <laughs> pretty funny <laughs> there you go that's incredible i mean they probably never had anything even similar remotely Oh, I don't know. Uh, there was, you know, I mean, I think, I think there was already diesel and stuff by the time, by that time, at, you know, available. I think it was there. It was, I think it was 04 or something like that. You know, there was some, there was probably some good smoke there. Um, but I, I had just done an outdoor grow of, of like 50 plants and, and I had a couple of ones that I was keeping an eye on, you know, because they were like fucking resin bombs halfway through flower. I think I, you know, I, I had a few of them tagged. I was keeping an eye on, and I grabbed the best two of fifty and sent them in. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So some nice ones, by the sounds of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, apparently so. They were my favorites. <laughs> Twice and sent them in. <laughs> and it, you know, and uh, it hurts a little. Because it does, you know, those are the ones that you want all of that weed. Yeah, you got here now. I got to send this guy an ounce, you know. (laughs) 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 But I did, and I don't regret it. I guess. Oh, that's funny. I like that. He uh, he spoke pretty fondly of his recollections of you, and he said that like uh, initially before he was like stocking your seeds, you you were just sending them to him. Is that true? That sounds very interesting. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, that's <laughs> it's kind of been what it's all about, uh, you know. I um, I don't, uh, I didn't, I didn't want to handle. All, I don't, don't really didn't want to handle all the PMs and all that stuff, you know. So I figured I'd just give him to Gypsy. He can fucking give him out because he was doing freebies at the time, you know. I'm like, okay, well, you know, he can do something like that with these, and that, that way, this is the, this dude has to go to the post office and not me. You know, <laughs> just it's a way, it's a way to make it easier to you know to have done what I wanted to do without actually having to do it myself. There you have it, gang. What do you think? Huge shout out to Tom for taking the time to come by. 
Hope you're excited for part two. As always, huge shout out to the sponsors, guys. We couldn't make episodes happen without them. Shout out to Seeds here now and Simply Souvenirs. If you need Seeds, whether you're in America or the EU, they got you covered with all the biggest names, hottest drops, Simply Souvenirs, Seeds here now. Shout out, guys. We appreciate you so much. Likewise, shout out to our friends at Copet Biological Systems. All the best pest and predator technology. Get their stuff, guys. You won't regret it. Just like pulse sensors, you need to get your garden dialed in to get the optimal yield. If you want to get serious, get yourself a pulse. A shout out to the Purple Pro team, sending me a Purple Pro, I've been using it, it's very fun. Accurate handheld results, flower and concentrate. I'm using it to pheno hunt, check it out. Last but not least, the Patreon gang. We love you so much. Please consider supporting the Patreon. If you like the show and want to ensure it continues to happen, all while getting some cool benefits. That's about it for this one, my friends. I'll check you for the next one. I'll see you.